Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jameis Winston is sacked five times. The Bucs allow seven sacks overall and 12 quarterback hits in their win over the Browns on Friday. How worried is Bruce Arians about his offensive line play? They did lose a quarterback, Blaine Gabbert, to a shoulder injury. We'll tell you what the plan is moving forward for Thursday's preseason finale at Dallas. And Andrew Luck stuns the NFL world by retiring at age 29 on Saturday. We've got a reaction from two of his former coaches, Bruce Arians, and Clyde Christensen. Florida wins an ugly game over Miami. What did we learn about the Gators and Hurricanes? And the Rays win two, then lose two at Baltimore. Another injury for Jose Alvarado. We've got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Verstick. Hey, if you'd like to sponsor a portion of this podcast, we've got lots of new ways you can do that. Our advertisers are having some great success and you will too. So now here's what you do. For information, contact us on Twitter at SportsDayTB, or you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Hey, we'd love to have you guys be part of our team. All right, Steve, so the big uh, dress rehearsal, the third preseason game, of course, was Friday against the Cleveland Browns, and to say it was underwhelming would probably be an understatement because the Bucks were hoping to look sharp uh, in their in their final tune-up. The last time we're going to see the starters probably on either side of the ball. None of them will play at Dallas on Thursday. I got to be honest, it was uh, sobering to see the Cleveland Browns defensive line, which is good, by the way. They have some talent on that side of the ball, but they absolutely got after Jameis Winston. He sacked five times, as I just mentioned, hit a bunch of other times. I think, uh, you know, the, the sobering thing about it, and I know Bruce Arians – you know, after the game was was very blunt about how, you know, they got their butts kicked and this sort of thing. But but they were really just man-to-man blocking. It wasn't like there were missed assignments or mental errors or anything like that. They physically overwhelmed them at a few times. DeMar Dotson, you know, got bull rushed once. Uh, Alex Kappa got exposed on, on two rushes. Um, they did they did fail to uh, to try to handle a blitz one time. And I think on a couple occasions, Jameis Winston probably should have just checked the ball down or gotten out of there quicker, and he didn't. But anytime you see your quarterback get hit that much in one half, you know, that that's not a good thing. And here's the deal. There's nobody on the farm that's going to help them. In other words, uh, this is a thin offensive line group. These are their five best guys. And really outside of maybe Earl Watford, who they picked up, you know, on in the offseason as a free agent from the Cardinals, they just they're looking for offensive line help, as is a lot of other teams. So I, I really expect that when this roster is cut down a week from uh, from this or actually coming this coming up Saturday, I think there's going to be a lot of waiver claims. I think there's going to be a lot of movement in the last few days before they get to that first week of the season. Not a good not a good picture if you're the Bucks with the way they did not protect Jameis Winston. Well, I've got to hand it to Simon, who tweeted us on Friday night, and he says. Rick, you've only been talking about the struggles of the offensive line for six months on the podcast. It's abysmal. Jameis is going to get destroyed. And, you know, they didn't upgrade anything in the offseason. Now they, they re-signed Donovan Smith to a contract, and he was the best available left tackle in football who was a free agent. So they, they re-signed him. But also, Bruce Arian's scheme does not allow you to, to keep a lot of guys in to protect. I mean, they've got yeah. five guys on on most routes. So your yeah. offensive line is responsible to pick up the guy in front of them. And they yeah, didn't that, do a very good job against the Browns on Friday night. No, you're exactly right. And I think that, you know, uh, that's going to be on on Winston to, you know, decide where to go with the ball quickly, hope his guys can, can be in the right spots. And, you know, mo- more often than not, there's going to be more guys coming than they can block. If you've only got five offensive linemen and everybody goes out and keep five eligible, uh, really the sixth guy, if you will, is Jameis Winston. He has to make quick decisions to help those five guys out, and one guy is always going to be free. So I think you saw that a little bit, you know, uh, certainly on Friday night. And, um, 
you know, you wor- you worry a little bit, I think, about you know guys like Demar Dotson, who's like in his eleventh or twelfth season. How long can he play? How will he hold up? Again, I've seen these guys play better, and maybe it is you know sort of a wake up call. I talked to Ali Marpet after the game. Um, he actually played very well. I thought Donovan Smith played okay. Uh, so the left side of their line is is obviously the the strength of, of of that unit, but. Still, it was unacceptable. You know, Dotson was very honest about, you know, you never want to go out there and get your quarterback hit like that. And, you know, they, they know they have to do better. He called it a wake-up call. So we'll see. I mean, I guess, you know, you wouldn't want to see this in, in week one against the San Francisco 49ers. Um, but there wasn't anything exotic about it. I mean, it wasn't like they were, you know, they were playing, you know, cover zero and bringing nine guys on every play. This was just sort of getting beat physically one-on-one and and that's the thing if it were twists or stunts or things you go back and look schematically and say well we didn't game plan a lot for this game you know in a regular game plan we would we would you know study sort of what the other defense is doing and, and be a little sharper on our assignments this was really just guys getting beat and I worry about a guy like Alex Kappa who up to now everybody has really praised but really there's there's simply not a lot of competition for him he's sort of won the right guard spot by default he's making the jump from division three didn't really play at all as a rookie to be honest with you and you know you saw him you know just got physically manhandled twice uh, during that first half so you know wasn't wasn't a good look they they moved the ball a little bit you know after the first series or so um, unable to put any points on the board defensively though I was really encouraged Steve I thought that uh, you know I really believe Baker Mayfield was going to come out here and, and do some stuff. I had talked to Todd Munkin earlier in the day. Baker's had a really good training camp, a good preseason. Now, they didn't play their starting receivers, so he had a bunch of guys out there, you know, that um, would, would not necessarily know Jarvis Landry, know Odell Beckham, that sort of thing. Um, but really, they, they got some pressure, and, and even more encouraging was the coverage on the back end. Those guys were on those receivers they didn't give them a lot of time or space. They made plays on the football. You know, Jordan Whitehead was outstanding in that game. So, you know, the safety position, which has been sort of riddled with injuries now, you see a guy like Whitehead perform. They're going to get Justin Evans back. He was at practice, you know, on uh, on Sunday. So that was his first time back since, you know, like last November when he went out on IR with a, with a toe injury. So they're still sort of – kind of putting together the secondary, but I thought those guys played really well, Vernon Hargraves and Carlton Davis. So from that standpoint, you know, the defense really took a step up. I mean, to have the field position that they were given, which wasn't good, and to hold the Browns' first-team offense, which has been pretty effective lately, to just three field goals was outstanding. So, you know, some good things, mostly bad things for the offense. Again, Mike Evans didn't play. Chris Godwin showed up. He had a couple of big catches, and you know, he looks like he's in, in great form. And and really just, just overall kind of a kind of a blah day. I mean, they win the game. You know, they did lose another quarterback though, and this is also a concern. Blaine Gabbard goes out, not because he was sacked, he was on a kind of a running play, he ran the ball, fell on his left shoulder, that thing popped out, so he dislocated that. It's not his throwing shoulder, so they're encouraged that, you know, maybe in a few weeks he'll be able to go back and, and, and you know, be in position to play. I don't know what that does to his roster spot or not, but uh, I asked Bruce Arians if he was comfortable with Ryan Griffin as his number two, and he said, oh, absolutely, more than comfortable. And Griffin did what he's done, again, not against starting NFL-caliber talent, but he leads him down the field late in the game, Sets him up, of course, for uh, you know the game-winning field goal by Matt Gay, who did miss a field goal in that game, by the way. Clunked one uh, off the right uh, goalpost, uh, about 34 yards or so. Um, so, you know, you're going to have to start the season, at least initially, with Jameis Winston and then, you know, Ryan Griffin behind him, who's never taken a snap in a regular season NFL game. As far as Thursday night's game go at Dallas, you'll not see any starters, but they also now don't want to play Griffin very much, if at all. And so they went ahead and they re-signed Vincent Testaverde, which is, of course, Benny, Benny Testaverde's uh, son, who had been in camp and then cut a couple of times. He comes back, and he's actually going to have to play uh, the balance of that football game in Dallas. You'll see a lot of reps for him. And then you'll see, of course, you know, mostly guys that are fighting for the last maybe three, four roster spots. This thing's going to be in flux for a while. The cutdowns 
I think, are Saturday at 4 p.m. I think you'll see a ton of changes because 24 hours later on Sunday, there'll be uh, you know players subject to the waiver claim. I think you see a lot of those. You'll see some free agent signings, a lot of movement, especially at the bottom of the roster turning over. So don't get too set on what you see by Saturday at 4, but everybody's looking for offensive line help, including the Bucks, and they've got some other areas to address too. So it's going to be interesting. But, yeah, we'll, we'll get to see <laughs> Vincent Tessaverde Jr. will be performing for the Bucks uh, in what will be you know, just really an ugly game, I think, on, uh, on Thursday in Dallas. All right, so now here's every, the way everything came down on Saturday. Um, I think uh, these ratings were off the charts, Riley, because it was college football, of course, week zero, they call it, and college game day was in Disney, and I woke up and I saw all the signs, and it felt normal, and you know Washington State had their flag, so it, it felt like college game day, but there really wasn't a lot of games. But it was Florida-Miami had the stage to themselves, and, of course, I think the whole nation was tuned into that. An Finally a football to- game that counted. Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe it shouldn't have. Well. Um, and, and you made the point before we came on because, you know, more and more, and this is this is now the case, I think, in college football, there's so such concern about injury, right, and, and getting healthy players to the start of the regular season, especially when you're playing a team like Miami right off the bat or if you're Miami playing Florida. And we think about preseason, and these guys are at least able to get out there and play full speed and tackle and and do some things before they get their starters out of there. Well, that's not the case, you know, in college football. They've, they've been hitting each other. And I honestly, I, I tweeted this. I don't know the answer. I don't know how much tackling to the ground that Florida had done prior to this game against Miami. They did virtually none of it in the game. I mean, Miami um, was able to make big plays with, you know, guys missing four and five tackles on one one handoff. And so it was, it was really a sloppily played game, a lot of penalties, especially down the stretch. I thought for all the world, Steve, that Florida deserved to lose this game, mm-hmm. especially with what was an egregious, you know, interception when they had the lead with about four and a half minutes to go by Felipe Franks. I thought, well, that's certainly got to be it. And then even as Miami was trying to come back and win the game late, they, they had some uh, horrible pass interference penalties on fourth and long and third and long, and they kept giving Miami more and more chances. You know, Miami missed a field goal. That was important, but it was it was really a a sloppily played game. It was it looked like you know Manny Diaz was 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 coaching his first game because his team had a lot of mistakes with personnel and getting guys on and off the field and um, you know letting the clock run out and, and the play clock and all those things. I mean, it was really hard to watch, but in the end, the Florida Gators prevailed. And I know you know that Dan Mullen was pleased just to get the victory any kind of victory uh, on that kind of a night. Miami was better than I thought they would be, though, uh, Steve. I thought the quarterback play was pretty good. Their defense is really fast. They're very fast, but, you know, they've got a big problem on the offensive line, and they're starting two freshman tackles. And in long term, that's probably going to be a good play, and in a year or two from now, they're probably going to be really good, both tackles. But, woof, they had they struggled on that offensive line. And, and when you've got a new quarterback there – coming in that that really hurt them but yeah their defense was phenomenal you caused four turnovers and, and if you're mm-hmm. Dan Mullen you gave up the ball four times and you came away with a victory you'll take that don't ask questions just run and take the victory because you shouldn't win that game no should not have and and you know they're ranked eighth which uh, you know for my money after watching them I think that's probably a little too high now you know maybe they'll they'll have that experience behind them the first game jitters whatever you want to call it I think Miami's better than being an unranked team from what I saw but you're right those tackles needed some help and I was surprised that Diaz didn't at least you know put a tight end over on the left side maybe chip a few times they left those guys sort of one-on-one all night and and that he really didn't do much to help his offensive line now and Florida's defensive look Florida's defense is really good too so let's give some credit to Florida I mean absolutely that's, that's part of it as well they weren't you know, it wasn't Miami going up against Little Sisters of the Poor where, the, you know, the offensive linemen can learn and develop and grow. I mean, yeah. they were facing a big boy defense, too, just like Florida was. And Florida's offensive line wasn't that great either. Um, both right. sides, you know, both offensive lines struggled in that game. So, But it was good to have football that counted. Oh, it was great. You know, Matt Baker, you know, on our podcast last week called it, you know, he said it was going to be a sloppy game that Florida would win 24-17. Turns out it was mm-hmm. 24-20, but it was, it was a very sloppy game between the turnovers and penalties and um but you know look this is their i mean in college football a lot of times those first games are sloppy whether it's you know a a big school going up against a little school and they just don't 
look as good as they should, or you're playing, you know, to a rivalry, a state rivalry like Miami, Florida, it, it is going to be a little sloppy at first, and particularly Miami when it is, it's a whole new coaching staff. And I mean, granted, Manny Diaz was defensive coordinator last year, but you know, a lot of things have changed there. And so you expect some sloppiness without preseason in that, that they have. Yeah. You know, what's tough is, is just sort of the game management, right? Like uh, on the sidelines, who's going into the game, the, the personnel groupings, Mm -hmm. um, the play clock, getting, getting the play in on time. So the quarterback has time, you know, and doesn't have 10 seconds to break the huddle. Um, that sort of thing. And so that that's sort of what was lacking, and that's what you get in preseason to sort of iron those things out, and you don't really get it in college football. They they probably could use a scrimmage or two against other teams but weren't able to do so. But, you know, look, it was an, it was an entertaining game. And the difference, it really came down to the fact that Felipe Franks made one big throw. You know, when they needed him to, to put together a drive, he did that. And he got himself in the end zone on a run, and, and that was really the difference in the game. So – you know, we've talked about how Franks has improved and, you know, how they're sort of going to ride his emotion and his attitude. He did have, like I said, a really, really bad interception. I kind of question the play calling when you're, you know, you have the lead with four minutes to go and you got a chance to shorten the game right there and he comes out throwing on first down. But overall, you know, Franks uh, made, made just enough plays for them to win. So you credit them with that. The big thing in the during the game, the shocker, and it, it sort of took away from the game a little bit. I, I don't. Everybody, I think, that was watching probably got the news the same way. Uh, the ticker at the bottom of ESPN, and it was in red, and they don't normally do that. Of course, Adam Schefter, according to my sources, Andrew Luck is retiring. It was like, wait a minute, because the Colts are playing the Chicago Bears as this report is breaking. As they're actually breaking the news, Andrew Luck, who is not dressed, is on the sideline talking to his teammates like Jacoby Brissett and others, and this 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 bulletin comes across, and you kind of had to read it and shake your head a few times and go, wow, that's that is that was a stunner. 29 years old. Yeah, he's had some injuries, but you know what? I just last time I saw him, he was at the Pro Bowl in Orlando, talked to him about Bruce Arians. That's really the, the last he sort of played uh, of, any, of any ilk. And, you know, he, he came back last year finally after all the shoulder problems, led them, you know, to the postseason, and, and they, they lost a playoff game. But he seemed happy to be back after all the, the, the trials and tribulations that he had had with the injuries. But, he you know, he's had this calf injuries that sort of mutated into an ankle problem or, or you know, Achilles, nobody really knows what. And – it just so after the game, you know, now once the news had broke, a couple of things happened. The people in the stands that are checking their phones and aware of social media, they catch word of it. People are writing makeshift signs, say it ain't so, that kind of thing. And then Andrew Luck gets booed by a, by a portion of fans on his way off the field, which just seemed odd if you didn't know really what was going on. In fact, um, there was a report that, you know, the Indianapolis Colts announcers were calling the game. And even though they were aware of the report, they were unable to mention it because Luck had actually – there was actually a, a planned press conference that was supposed to be on Saturday but you know, or on Sunday. But because of the report breaking, um, you know, they did it after the game, but yet the, the, the Colts broadcasters weren't at liberty to announce what was really going on. So that was bizarre. Just a lot of weird things going down. And, and I got to give him credit for standing up there and having the poise that he had and speaking – you know, passionately and trying to explain that, you know, it, it, he simply couldn't continue with this this sort of cycle of pain and pain management and rehab and you know pretty much all the all the joy that he experienced in football had sort of been taken out of it and he and he couldn't move on with his life unless he decided to give up to give up football and and I was I was trying to think of like when's the last time you've sort of been blindsided by you know, a retirement like that. And, and, and I mean, not that he's the same type of superstar, but really when, when Michael Jordan, you know, quit the first time mm-hmm. uh, by the, from the Chicago Bulls to go play baseball, I mean, that's sort of, that's sort of the feeling you got. Like you just were completely unprepared I mean, for it. Barry Sanders, he was a leading, second leading rusher in NFL history at that point. I think he right. was 29 or 30 years old as well, kind of the same age mm-hmm. as Andrew Luck. Right. Um, Calvin Johnson to a little point, a little bit. Sure, you know, with the with the Lions, and you can go all the way back to Jim Brown in the NFL. 
you know, he led the league in rushing the year he retired. And I think he, he was sure 31 did. or that. Um, you know, but yeah, it, it's not often you, you get blindsided like this. Although, in his case, I can understand it. I mean, the amount of injuries he's gone through and he doesn't seem to be bouncing back the way that you think he should. And, you know, for whatever reason. And, and you look, if, if you don't have the passion anymore, then shouldn't you give the game up? You know, the thing about Andrew Luck, and um, in a minute we're going we're gonna to play you an interview I had with Clyde Christensen, who was his quarterback coach, and he mentioned Clyde. And, of course, Bruce Arians was his interim head coach his rookie year when he burst onto the scene with mm-hmm. a very bad football team but still managed to go 11-5 and five and get his team in the playoffs. Um, and Bruce was stunned by it, as, as most people were. Um, but the injuries w- was a big thing. And, and you know, you kind of wonder, like, you know, where – you know, was football the biggest thing in his life? Is is this, you know, w- what is it he's, he's trying to get to? But I think in some ways he almost felt this – and, look, he's walking – by the way, he's walking away from about $70 million on this current contract, not to mention what potentially he may have made in three years. He has three years left of the current deal that he's on. Now, the Colts, I guess, are not going to make him, you know, give back. They, they could actually ask for some guaranteed money, some $26, 27000000 million that they're not, not going to recoup from him. And that's, that's a decision, you know, that Jim Mersey, the owner, has made. Um, so it's not about the money, even though there's an enormous amount of money. Who leaves that on the table, right? Um, but, but I think there was a part of him that felt like, you know what, I, just, I can never be Andrew Luck again. I mean, this guy was so competitive – he was such a good player, um, so athletic, and you know was, you know just, uh, you know four Pro Bowls before the age of thirty. No one's ever walked away from football uh, quite like that, except for the guys you mentioned. And uh, I just I think he felt like he was letting letting his franchise down, letting his city down. Um, you know, didn't think it was probably fair to Jacoby Brissett. Again, I'm speculating here a little bit, um, but I think he felt this this sort of responsibility almost. That if he if he couldn't fulfill you know his promise that that they expected him to be on the football field and more than that like there was no end in sight it was like this this constant cycle and they they never really got on top of the shoulder injury even though he was able to play um, you know his arm was never quite the same you know he played with a I think a lab, torn labrum in his shoulder then they botched the surgery then he missed a year and that that took a toll on him as well. Um, but just constantly rehabbing from things, and, and there was no real remedy for for this, uh, you know, this calf injury that be, you know was also affecting his ankle or his foot. Um, it wasn't like you know if you if you tear an ACL and you know that you know what in in six months you're going to be in a certain spot, in nine months you're you're going to be able to run again, and in ten or eleven months you're going to be good as new. Th- th- there just was no progress, you know, in some of these injuries and. Um, I just think he got he got tired of of the rehab. It's a lonely situation, you know, when you're when you're constantly being asked how you feel and you're wondering when you're going to get back and how much you're going to have, you know, as far as that ability that 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 you were that, that the guy they paid for and drafted first overall. So, I mean, I get it. I really do. I under, and, and he's a smart guy, you know. Uh, this is a guy that grew up in Germany and spent a lot of time uh, also in England when his father Oliver Luck was, you know, running the World League of, of, of American football over there back in the day, and you know, learned to speak German. His two passions were basketball and soccer, and then he came to the states, and of course he he learned how to play football. But he, you know, he also uh, you know goes to Stanford and makes sure he gets his his degree before he comes out in architecture. So he has a lot a lot of interest and a lot of things going on. And I just think that not that football took a backseat, but he just simply couldn't be Andrew Luck. And so, you know, these people that are coming after him on Twitter and all the trolls, and I understand fans that are disappointed, you know, if you're a Colts fan and maybe you put down season tickets or, you know, you have a financial stake, you you know, if you go to a concert, you want to see the person you paid to perform. Um, but this idea, this notion that, you know, he, he's, uh, he's just soft and, and, you know, it's just a millennial thing or whatever. I just think that's so patently unfair that uh, people don't understand, you know, just what kind of pain these guys go through uh, to get ready to play. And, you know, just the, the violence of that, of that game, if you're ever 
you know, down at, at field level. And, and I don't know how, how a quarterback even sees a receiver, much less throws the ball to him. Um, so it's not something that you can't be, you know, halfway in. You've got to be, you know, completely sold in your ability to function out there and to escape pressure and to, you know, and, and to deliver the ball at that quarterback position. And it, it's just really – it's really disappointing, I think, that some people have have taken you know so many shots, and not not the I mean you know again it's the vocal minority probably on Twitter and social media and things, um, but I think people don't really appreciate what these guys sometimes sacrifice, and I understand people can't under you know can't relate to someone walking away from that much money, but you know what he's made money, and if this was about money, um, you know that that incentive has sort of been removed when you've made you know, somewhere around $100 million already. So, um, but it was it was shocking. And I think people will always remember sort of when they got the news. And, and really, uh, uh, so many people I talked to, including Bruce Arians and Clyde Christensen, were just like me. They were watching the Miami-Florida game when it came across the ticker. I saw it on Twitter first, and I clicked on, you know, Schefter's name and triple-checked that there was a check blue check mark there. That's and, right. you know, 7 million followers or whatever to make sure this wasn't <laughs> a fake Adam Schefter account. Because yeah, it, right. it, it wasn't anything you were expecting. Yeah. It, it was so out of, you know, left field. And, and uh, you know, it's the Colts fans booing him, I, I you know, I mm. think that's absolutely wrong, but – you know, I can kind of understand in in that moment at a preseason game, which some of them are probably you know a little juiced up, and you're just finding out then, and he's on the sidelines there. I mean, it, look, what they did was wrong, but I understand where that comes from. I hope you know Colts fans understand you know what he's done and and what he did for the franchise in, in that, and then he's made a personal decision that he wants to walk away, and it, it, the timing stinks for them this year. Although apparently, mm-hmm. you know, for two weeks he's been talking to the Colts about leaning that way, so it's yeah. not it's not a complete surprise to the organization, to the fans. Yeah. Obviously, it is, um, but you know, I I, I can't I can't remember who tweeted this, but I thought I thought it was great. It said not only did Tom Brady outlast Peyton Manning, but he outlasted his replacement too. That's incredible, isn't it? How about <laughs> this? I also saw this on Twitter. Um, the uh, the the Colts, the Baltimore slash Indianapolis Colts, managed to draft uh, John Elway, Peyton Manning, and Andrew Luck, and they won one Super Bowl from all those guys. Well, <laughs> it's it, incredible. It, if, if Indianapolis wasn't, you know, I think they have a very good roster and a very good team. They do. If, if it wasn't the case, I would have almost been the conspiracy theory of they had Peyton, they got Luck, and they were tanking for either Tua or, Trevor, or uh, Jake Fromm or – or Herbert from Oregon, but actually, you know, even with Jacoby Brissett or whoever's their quarterback, I think they'll win some games this year because their roster is good enough to do that. But yeah, no, they have a good team. They've, they've done a nice job of building it and it's, you know, their offensive and defensive lines are very good. They got skilled players on the outside on offense. They have a really good head coach in Frank Reich. I think they're going to be a a good football team, even with Jacoby Brissett, who's probably a little underrated and you Mm got to credit him too for, for, you know, having, been their quarterback and then stepping aside when luck came back and, and, you know, fulfilling that role. And I know those two guys are really close. And I think that was another part, you know, that Andrew uh, probably didn't think it was fair, you know, to, to Jacoby and, and, and his teammates, if he couldn't be out there and, and, and function at, at the level that they needed him to. Um, it's a weird one. It's one that, uh, you know, and people are speculating too, you know, what happens if a year or two from now he is suddenly healthy and his, his ankle and his shoulder and everything, he's still only going to be about 30, 31 years old. The Colts will own his rights, obviously, but, you know, would he consider maybe coming back? And we just don't know the answer to that. We, you know, I think he'll be with the Vipers under his, you know, he'll be here in Tampa <laughs> Bay quarterback in the Vipers as his dad is running awesome. the XFL. Well, you know what the people around here are thinking? They're thinking, okay, so Bruce left the Cardinals, right? And then he was in TV for a year. And then I want to come back, but the Cardinals on my rights. But we'll give him a draft pick, and now he's in Tampa. What if Jameis Winston doesn't make it a year from now? <laughs> and Andrew Luck comes back, but, you know, the Colts have their quarterback. And, you know, could you give them something? So you're already starting to hear these uh, you know, these conspiracy theories. And, and really the people that know Andrew Luck have no idea what he will do. That He could – you know, he's the kind of guy that, you know, could could run for president or 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 just disappear. So um, it's just very, you know, it's very unpredictable at this point. And I don't think he frankly knows, except that he wants to. He's recently married. He wants to enjoy his life. And- 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And, and not go through this cycle of, of trying to to prepare, you know, and, and, and really not get back to who he really was. So, um, you know, the other thing is when you're hurt like this, you get, you get a ton of people telling you what you should do and, um, you know, try this therapy and that. And I think, I think Peyton Manning went through some of that. So you just don't know, but, uh, but boy, it was, it was shocking. And, uh, I, I think it's going to be a blow to the Colts and you wonder about their psyche and just how, how quickly they can turn the page now, but they do have a good football team. This is not a situation where, and like you said, I think I don't think they're going to be in the, in the market, you know, for uh, for Tua and, and, and some of those young quarterbacks. I think they're going to win many more games than that. They it did change, of course. Las Vegas is is taking them off the board, and you know they were picked to win the division. Now they're probably picked to be last. But um, you know, it, one guy does not, you know, does not. The train keeps moving. I mean, that's the thing about the NFL, and you find out very quickly it doesn't matter who you are. That uh, and I think Andrew Luck understood this too. That he knows the game and the Colts are going to survive. They managed to move on without Peyton Manning. I mean, they they essentially you know let him go uh, so that they could take Andrew Luck first overall and, and insert him as the quarterback. And what a year he had under Bruce Arians. You know, that was a year in 2012 that you know Chuck Pagano got leukemia. And Arians was thrust in the interim head coaching role, went nine and three. They make the playoffs at at twelve and five, and away they go. So, um, you know that whole story. And ironically, Chuck Pagano was on the field and talked to Andrew Luck before the game because he's now the defensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears, who they were playing in this preseason game. The whole thing was just sort of weird, the way it all came down. But uh, but it was it was quite an announcement. I had a chance, you know, to talk to both Bruce Arians, uh, who was stunned by the announcement, as was Clyde Christensen. Although Clyde told me that he had heard a little bit about it and has been in communication with Andrew over the last few months and, and certainly over the summer. Um, you'll hear from both those guys, but I wanted you particularly to hear my uh, conversation uh, with Clyde Christensen about Andrew Luck, about his legacy, and just his reaction to what was a stunning announcement on Saturday. First of all, what's your reaction to it? When did you learn about it? Were you watching the game? or? Yeah, no, there were, there was, you know, probably – uh, you know, some rumors, and you know, I'd talk, I talk. I stay in touch with them, and oh, okay. kind of knew that it was a possibility. But uh, really, but um, you know, that he was contemplating it. But but uh, I learned like everyone probably watching the Miami Florida game, and it came across the bottom. And yeah, all of a sudden I had about fifty texts in thirty seconds. You know, I think like like everyone just you know the reality of it was was shocking. It was it was it was a blow. You know, it was a knocked the wind out of me. Yeah. What do you know about Andrew? I mean, obviously the injuries were a big part of it, but what, what do you know about him that, that, that this would or wouldn't surprise you? Um, um, I, do, I do because, you know, kind of, you know, him going through what he went through in 16, mm-hmm. and he just got, you know, he, he's, he's, such, he's such a, he's one of the finest young men I've ever met. And for him to feel like he let down people and teammates and coaching staff and the city and you know it just took him to a dark place you know and and uh, you know and 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 so I think you know you and then when I talked to him and it happened this spring and the calf had happened kind of tweaked his you know it come up this spring and I so I, I think what you do know about him is that it just you know it's hard for him to. So, you know that he t- that he does take it personal. He cares about you know he cares about you know that he represents and what he does with his family and the team and the city and you know so I I do think that that's that's one thing he's so darn conscientious. I think the other thing is that he's you know he plays at such a high level and when someone plays at such a high level to to play at anything less is disappointing to you know to to do something halfway when he knows he's better you know when he mm-hmm. knows he's you know, and to just not be able to get to that point, to not be able to get healthy, is really a, a hard thing to live with. You know, and mm-hmm. and uh, and so I, I think those would be the the two things that you know 
think the third thing would be just that he's a he's a well thought out guy. You know that that this won't be, and then, you know he's he's a mentally tough, disciplined guy. And then uh, this thing was well thought out, and and it wouldn't it wouldn't be a knee jerk reaction in anything. That would be the three things I would know about him. So it would surprise you if a year from now he says, you know what, I'm good. I want to come back and play. It probably would surprise me, you know. Although I, I don't know many people who love football more than him. He That's loves, what everybody says. He it's loves like everything is... about football. He loved the meetings. He loved, yeah. you know, he loved every day. He'd take his nap, and I'd walk by the meeting room and wake him up, and you know, we put a little a little futon in there, and you know, and he, you know, he's just such a fun guy to be around. He just he got a ton of joy. I think he got so much joy out of playing in the locker room and teammates and competing and. You know, everything he got—he he got a legit joy out of it, like a, a childlike joy out of it. Mm-hmm. And I think he just to play football for any—you know—not have that is just—I don't. Obviously, he couldn't live with that. Like yeah. he just couldn't live with that anymore. And uh, I mean, he—he—he would—if you just watched him and how he—you know—he he just had a blast playing football. It just it really was childlike. You know, it was a—you mm-hmm. know—it was that kind of just a, a laughter and a. Uh, it brought such joy to him, you know, that that I, I have never seen it really bring to anyone else, you know. There's not many people who just enjoy it all like yeah. he did. And yeah, it seemed like he was back. I mean, he played last yeah, year. Last they year. made the playoffs. I saw him in Orlando at the Pro Bowl. I was talking yeah. to him. Yeah, I did too. I, I thought last year, by, by week whatever, four or five, he was playing at a really high level. And, mm-hmm. and uh, he sounded good, he, you know. He... I got an email from him from the Czech Republic, and he, you know, just told, me, "Hey, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get married," and he was happy. He was really, really happy. When, uh, In the off season, you mean? yeah, the off season, his past off season, his past married? off season, and and uh, but he, you know, he spent his time over in, I think yeah. it's the Czech Republic, and uh, and uh, it was sending, and then just, you know, just, you know, was so happy about, you know, life and mm-hmm. marriage and feeling good again and. You know, so I just think that thing in spring just goes, my, how can this keep going, you know? Mm-hmm. Can you appreciate, because you've seen a lot of players who fight back from mm-hmm. ACLs and multiple mm-hmm. uh, surgeries and, and all this kind of stuff and guys that just would fight, you know, no matter what it took to keep going back and going back. But can you appreciate also the other side of that that he's talking about where it takes so much of the joy out of out of your life that that you can't really get to any beyond that or just the grind is rehab rehab you know sort of i think it is and then i think his has been you know kind of it has you you know if you're making progress but his his you know he's had two injuries now that just didn't make progress like they didn't go hey you're you know four weeks you're going to feel a little better and in six weeks and i mm-hmm. i think that was the discouraging thing and uh the rough part was it just didn't go on a schedule, you know. I think if you if you said, "Hey, this is a six week injury," and then six and weeks, two weeks, you're gonna be doing this, and then, you know, like like I think that that was really a frustration with both these last two injuries that, you know, they didn't follow. Uh, you know, it wasn't hey an ACL. You kind of know, hey, you'll be walking months, at this point, yeah. you'll be jogging yeah. at this point, yeah. you'll be sprinting at this point, we'll do movement at this point, and yeah. you'll play at this point, you know, and yeah. and it usually will stay pretty darn close to that. And his just his, those injuries just didn't do that. Yeah, he said he was shocked because he knows how mentally tough he is and physically tough, and how much he loves the game. Yeah, he did two games with him last year, and he was running off the bus trying to tell him how how happy he was and all this playing the game, and yet he grew up in Europe. He has a different view of things. Uh, you know, he was a basketball and soccer player. He went to Stanford and is an architecture major. I yeah. mean, he has – his mind is is what it is. So from that standpoint, are, I mean, are there things bigger for him outside of football if he couldn't be Andrew Luck, or do you think it's just that he couldn't be who he was before? And that, that's I think, what, I think what it could be is. who he was because he, he loved football more than anything. He loved football more says. than money, more than salary. More yeah. like he, that stuff. he loved football. He but loved, see, a guy like that you would think is yeah. going to hang on to the yeah. last shred of and hope. I think he, he did, but I think it, you know that it really was hard to get a joy out of it, and I think he felt – he carries it heavy if he feels like he's letting his teammates down to stand there and watch his teammates battle without him for, you know, to watch him, you know, to just not, I, I just think that's a hard one to live with. And then mm-hmm. I think it is hard for a guy who, you know, those guys are perfectionists, you know, they just, they know what they can do mm-hmm. and you can't get there. You can't know? get and back. That's a, that's a hard, 
hard deal. So, does he? Do you think he feels like he's doing the right thing for his team in terms of like there's I think he Kobe, does. there's yeah. Kobe Brissett. Yeah, he's he yeah. Can, he's ready to play, and I'm holding he, up the band a little bit. I think bit. he feels like, hey, I'm a distraction. I'm letting this team down. Mm. I'm I, focus I, is always on me. Yeah, the focus is on yeah, like like hey, you know. I don't deserve to focus. You know, I'm yeah. not playing, and uh, you yeah. know, and uh, I do think I, I think he's so conscientious that way. He's such a such a great kid. You know, great what, young man. What kind of player was he at his peak? Before I think he could have. I think he was going to be. A, I think he's one of the best to play. I, you know, he had everything. He was. I mean, you, had, you had Peyton, and then him. Yeah, and so. he, you know, and, and even like his rookie year, they emptied the roster, and they. You know, and he just willed the thing. He took a, I think we had seven rookies starting, and B.A. was, you know, was B.A. was there. But That was a magical he, year, wasn't it? Yeah, he willed that thing in the ten wins. And if you just watched him do it, you know, if you just watched him do it, it was, he was spectacular. He was, I think he's one of the more accurate guys in the league. He's one of the tougher guys. He's brilliant. You know, he's a brilliant. He's got a photographic memory and uh and then he has off-the-chart people skills. I dare you to find a player who doesn't love being his teammate. You know, he has off-the-chart, mm. you know, off-the-chart self-awareness and people skills that people like him. He's he's got a humility to him that that uh you know is really fun to be around. What do you think he'll do with his life? I don't know. I don't know. And you know, will we hear about him again in some other? Uh... I don't. You could not. You, you he could disappear into the Swiss Alps and uh, <laughs> or run for president and live in a cabin, or he could be the president, or he could be the commissioner of the NFL, and uh, or anything in between. You know, yeah. like uh, he'll be interesting that way. That uh, you know, but I, you know, I selfishly I think it's a blow to football that we we need mm. the Andrew Lux. We need. Stars with humility, you know that 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 that's a blow to the league. That's a blow to the quarterback fraternity. That he he really was really good for it and uh, good for everybody. And uh, yeah. not to mention a blow to Indy, but but, yeah. uh, but I, it's bigger than that. I think it's bigger than that. That uh, I think he really was a great role model. Just how he carried himself, how he treated people, how he you know how he worked. Elite worker, elite man. I'll echo it. Mental tough, disciplined. I mean, you know. That's maybe what's so surprising. He'd shake his head if I ate two M and M's, and you know, I mean, like, hey, I mean, this guy was, this guy was disciplined. This guy was, this guy was, you know. I've been actually going over his schedule with Jameis, like, you know, oh, when really? it was, hey, when you take a nap, when you wake up, when you eat, when where, you know, he'd always put on there where he takes where he takes his wife out to dinner on Friday night, and, and, and like. Like, and then he could just do it, you know, and he just takes it and goes, and he's extremely, extremely disciplined. And I think this unknown thing, that it's hard for guys who have just, you know, any elite athlete who's kind of, you know, most things routine. have gone right and you can figure it out and fix it yourself, you know. You, mm -hmm. They just have a way to, that's why they're great. They can mm -hmm. fix it and and uh, will it into being. And uh, so, and uh, this one feels like he just, you know, he just couldn't, so. Would rule out him coming back, but maybe that's just wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. What do you so when you tell Jameis these things? This is what Andrew Luck did. What, what's the message there? Like you can be this routine, yeah, just routine. routine. Fine one. Just, just a discipline. Just a just mm -hmm. a that the process is what keeps you on track. You yeah. know, the, the the process just kind of keeps you on track. It doesn't have to be military. Yeah, militaristic. Five and, yeah. But it it does have to be. Hey, here's. Here's here's some parameters that'll just keep me in my lane, and uh, and uh, he was he was sensational at it. And all the great ones, I think, have uh, any great one I've ever been around has that they, routine. Yeah, that uh, you know you're not going to call them and they're going to they're going to tell you, hey, I'd love to get together, except that that's when I work out, that's when I sleep. study red zone, that's when I, I sleep. That's I got a Thursday night game coming up. I'm, you know, that 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 he had a great ability to do that, but. He was he was he was just a fun guy. I don't remember any days, no moodiness, never. never he when he came in the building, he enjoyed being around him. He was, he was he was a blast. So really interesting insights from uh, Clyde Christensen, and you know, I, I, again, I think these guys are, you know, sort of still trying to digest exactly, you know, what what Andrew Luck is thinking. But it's clear that you know they're all surprised because of his love for the game that he would walk away from it. So obviously he has a deep conviction. And, and like Clyde said there, 
he doesn't think this was a rash decision. He thinks this is something that was, you know, very well thought out and that he's at peace with and uh, sort of expects, uh, you know, expect him to be, um, you know, resolute in, in, in his decision and that, you know, it's not likely to change. Well, I got an interesting stat for you, too. With Andrew Luck, was a former number one pick, of course. In the last 20 drafts, and we won't count the 2019 draft because Kyler Murray has not played a game yet, but so 20 drafts before that. 14 quarterbacks have been taken number one overall. Only one of them have won a Super Bowl. Wow. Eli Manning. One out of four. Eli Manning. And he won two. Yes. In 20 years, one of the number one overall picks at quarterback Mm -hmm. has actually won a Super Bowl. Now, a couple have been there. Cam Newton went to one, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, Jared Goff was last year. There last last season, right? But has only one. Eli Manning's the only number one overall pick at quarterback in the last 20 years, and that does not bode great for Jameis Winston. Um, But you know what? Let me say this about it. In a way, it's not all that surprising uh, from the sense that, you know, we we always talk about, you know, the quarterback obviously being the most important ingredient maybe uh, to win a Super Bowl. But but if you go number one overall, and that's what we're talking about, the first pick overall at that position, you're absolutely going to the worst team in football. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's the most dependent position in sports – it, you know, even though it's obviously you know incredibly important, particularly in the National Football League, but if you don't have players around you, um, Andrew Luck, you know, managed to make the playoffs his first year, um, but you know took a beating. Didn't have an offensive line. They didn't really draft any offensive linemen for the first two or three years. It's one of the reasons he's in the, the situation he is in now. Um, and, and so, if you know, you're going to the worst team. The culture is bad. Um, you know, it's going to take you four or five drafts to, you know, to get enough players around you. And you wonder, you know, sort of what that, how that wears and, and you know, you get beaten down and that sort of thing. Um, so may, maybe, maybe it isn't that shocking, although boy, 20 years and that, that by the way, does not bode very well for Jameis Winston, who is in his fifth season now and has just one winning, winning record and it has not come close uh, to you know, to trying to break that streak uh, hasn't even made a playoff game yet. Well, I think some of it too is is not only are you going to the worst team in that, but the quarterback position has evolved so much in football mentally more than the physical part of it. That right. it's generally the older, more experienced quarterbacks that are winning Super true. Bowls. And granted, Brady's won a lot of them, but even with Philly, Nick Foles. I mean, he was what twenty eight, twenty nine at the time. Um, you know, it, yeah, it's, he might have been thirty. You know, generally, if you're winning a Super Bowl as a young quarterback, it's because you have a phenomenal team around you. A defense, yeah. We've you know. seen it with Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw it with Ben Roethlisberger. Was, when he was Roethlisberger's very a perfect example of that. I mean, his yeah. first Super Bowl, he didn't do much that season. No, he was a caddy. I mean, he was yeah. handing the ball off, and they had a great defense and a That's good team right. around him. Now, as he became more experienced, he helped win a Super Bowl later. Sure. But his first season, that he, the first one he won, you know, I mean, he, he was, was a the passenger. quarterback. But yeah, yeah. Speaking of young teams that are still trying to find their way into the postseason, how about your Tampa Bay Rays? You know, they go to Baltimore. Of course, they got the Houston Astros coming up, and the level of competition is about to step up. But they, have you seen I the pitching rotation for this week? Oh, it's it's. I love the I love the the game with Charlie Morton and Justin Verlander. Yeah. After yeah. that, Verlander, I'm Cole, impressed. and Granke. Yeah, well, that's that's who the Astros have, and and the Rays do not. Um, they got Charlie Morton and 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 nobody else. But you know what was what was really disappointing if you're a Rays fan about the weekend is that they won the first two in Baltimore, which is absolutely what they're supposed to do. But then you know they got blasted seven to one and then eight to three. And I mean the discouraging thing was it wasn't a fluke per se. I mean it was like they were out pitched. You know the Rays did not hit these Baltimore pitchers. They were out hit. Uh, I think Baltimore made more plays on defense. I mean they basically were outplayed for two days. And, you know, with the starting pitching being in the shambles that it is right now, now you go to Houston and you're obviously going to be outgunned and, and, you know, on the mound and many other positions as well. And you're taking a step up in class. So uh, that, you know, just just the whole trending sort of down thing, you would have liked to have seen them, you know, do a better job against a bottom rung team like Baltimore, especially that, you know, hasn't won anywhere, let alone, you know, at home or on the road or anything. So it, it was really – it was disappointing. And how about Jose Alvarado, by the way? I, I hate to – you know, you never want to rap on a guy that's, that, that's injured or says he's injured. I guess he had already come out of the game before 
At some point, he started mentioning that uh, maybe his elbow was a problem. Um, you know, this is a guy that went home for a month, and of course, he's been on the IL before. Uh, he's just he's made a mess of this season, pretty much after the first month. I mean, he was lights out the first month, and then it's just kind of been uh, just frustrating. I know for him, but also for the Rays to try to figure out. Can we use this guy in any particular role? Well, it's never good when your manager takes you out when you're the opener of the game and he takes you out on a 3-0 count. doesn't even let oh, you finish the batter. That was bad. Because he's afraid you can't throw a strike and it's going to end up a wild pitch and score a run. I mean, that, yeah, that, that just bad. shows your manager right now has no faith in you. Right. And, you know, you saw Kyle Snyder have his arm around him on the bench talking to him after he got pulled out. Mm-hmm. And, and now he's hurt, and so he's on the, the injured reserve list or the injured list. But, yeah, that's never a good sign. I mean, there was it was sloppy baseball over the weekend, too. And, and just yeah, some of the – like, the, even Sunday's game. So, they – you know, Eric Sogard leads off, first pitch, ropes it down the right field line, he's on second base. Tommy Pham bunts. Yeah, I don't get that. I don't get that. In the first inning, Tommy Pham, I don't want him bunting. No. And then when he does bunt, Sogard doesn't have to go on that. When that, no, that bunt, you see the ball barely, at the ground. When, that, when yeah. it barely went away from the plate, Sogard's got to stay at second. So mm-hmm. there, it was a miscue on two far. Why is why is Tommy Pham bunting, and then why is Sogard running on that? Yeah, and now you get your runner lead. thrown out, and instead of you know trying to get a quick run or a lead against Baltimore, yeah. now you're out of the inning at zero zero, and you know you you move on to the bottom of the first, and and you know just it's those little things that you sit there and you keep seeing over and over again with this race team, and, and we talked about look the last twenty one games. They played against teams below 500. They went 13 and 8. Not bad. Not great, but though. Not what you needed to do against teams that are below 500. You wanted at least 14 and 7. Granted, that's one game better, but that would be two out of every three games. You'd prefer 15 or 16 out of that. Sure, game. sure. Because, you know, those, those, you know, you were playing the worst teams in baseball, including right. Baltimore, who's not very good. And, and yet you made them look like all stars the last two games. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Beeks. You know, he he's good for an inning or two, and that's about it. And I don't know if it's if it's confidence, if it's once he gets base runners, he's a different pitcher, and he's got the stuff to be really good. So I don't know if, yeah, it's, he, if it's just the confidence, if it's he's questioning in his mind what he's doing, or but you know, once he gets base runners on, it's, he's a whole different pitcher, and the game changes. Well, you know, that could be mechanical. That could be something when, you know, when, you, when you're in, into the stretch, although I don't think his windup varies that much. But he, he just loses the strike zone. I mean, he, he, he'll come out and he'll, he'll, be, he'll be pounding the strike zone and then inexplicably suddenly he can't, he can't command the baseball. And, you know, the deeper he goes, obviously, you know, the, the more he tends to struggle. I think you're right. I think he's good for an inning or two. Um, but we've seen Cash leave him out there too long, you know, in the past, and it, it winds up biting him. So, mm-hmm. look, their starting pitching is a mess right now. They don't have any. Okay? Well, and, and they're relying on Beaks more because, yeah, they don't have anybody right now. It's it's right. He's probably in a role they don't envision him being ready for yet. Mm-hmm. But you don't have Chirinos. You don't have Snell. You don't have Glass now. I mean, you know, That's you're right. without a lot right now. And right. so, you know, they have to keep going to him because that now maybe Anthony Bond at some point will come up and, and do something. Mm-hmm. Blake Snell and, and uh, Tyler Glass now are starting to throw. Jose DeLeon can come up. I mean, you know, next week we get to September 1st and then you can go to, you know, 40, 40 men on your roster. And it doesn't look well, like Durham's going to make the playoffs, which means it's all hands on deck for the race. Anybody they sure, want to bring yeah. up, they can't. And that's the difference in that, you know, um, you don't have to pitch anybody more than one inning. I mean, you'll have the ability to, you know, to not have to get bulk innings. You can just go, you know, to the next guy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just play matchups for, for nine innings if you want to. I mean, you'll have that ability to do that. And so they need to get to August 1st. This team needs, you know, that injection and that, that sort of flexibility and not have them push guys. Um, but really, outside of Ryan Yarbrough, who's been lights out, by the way, I mean, mm-hmm. Yarbrough pitched another great five innings the other day before the rain delay. Um, you know, it's just Charlie and, and, and him. And, I mean, you know, that you, it's very difficult to, you know, to go through a five-game rotation with just two starters uh, and, and the other guys really not picking up the slack. And, you know, uh, the back of their bullpen's a little bit settled right now. Um, so you're kind of happy about that. But you got to get to those guys. you got to find a way to bridge there. And then offensively, they're just not – they're not a good team right now offensively. I mean, they're just not hitting the baseball consistently enough. And, 
you know, that was a mistake by FAM to try to do that. And, um, you know, so I don't, you know, they're, they're going to face, you know, like four really, or three or four really tough right handers, you know, coming up in this series. Um, so, you know, they have to find a way to, uh, to try to score some runs against the Astros because you know the Astros are going to score runs for sure. So, yeah, the, the, you know, the schedule turns on them now. It's going to be a little tougher. They're, they're still right in the wild card race. But this is who yep. they are. I mean, they, you know, they're a team. Well, wild card teams are not great baseball teams. They're better than some. I mean, they're still, as we do this podcast, 20 games over 500, mm-hmm. you know, and they got about 30 to play. So, you know, again, would you take that? Absolutely. Um, you know, could it get tougher from here? It certainly can. Um, they still got three games with Baltimore at the trap before they're done with them, but they, they really, you know, I think the, I think I saw where the Yankees haven't lost a single game to the Orioles this year, and they've absolutely Yankees win seventeen and two against Baltimore. Is that what it was? Seventeen and two. Yeah. So, you know that I mean that's that's the difference between winning the division and fighting for a wild card, even though you're twenty games over five hundred, and so you you have to beat up on those teams, and they weren't able to do it, especially after winning the first two. You know, you had an opportunity to win the series. Uh, and then, then you didn't just you know you split it, but not only that, but you you got waxed the last two games doing it. And it wasn't a fluke. I mean, they actually went out there and Baltimore beat you. So, but they've had these hiccups before, and we've seen them turn it around. And you're only as good as to, you know the next day's starting pitcher, mm-hmm. and that turns out to be Charlie Morton against Justin Verlander. And, and um, you know, so far they've they've got the edge in the series against the Astros. All right, Steve, before we get out of here, the Lightning were also active in uh, signing some pl- uh, one player, right? Yeah, they signed Patrick Maroon from the uh, world champion St. Louis Blues. Uh, he's about 6'3", 225 forward. Uh, essentially, I think, replaces kind of Adam Ernie on the roster, bringing some bulk, some right. heaviness, uh, a veteran who's won a cup. I mean, that was one of the criticisms last year after getting eliminated in four games is that they didn't have a cup winner on the team and it's very rare anymore that a team wins a cup without someone who's already won it on the roster. So that gives them someone who has won a cup very recently signs a very team friendly one year, $900,000 deal to play in Tampa Bay. So uh, I think it's a good signing, good depth. Um, someone with a lot of experience and, and some, some size. I mean, you know, hockey seems to be getting back a little bit to the heavier side. Um, not necessarily, you know, slug fest, but you got to have some guys that can have some thump to their game. Yeah, we've seen the Lightning struggle against teams like that that had that. So a good signing for for the Lightning. And then also uh, Florida State, as we uh, have breaking news while we do this, they've named a starting quarterback. James Blackman beats out Wisconsin transfer Alex Hornibrook. So mm-hmm. he'll be the starter as they face uh, off this Saturday against Boise State. Yeah, and that'll be uh, an important opener for them and a good opponent that they're playing in Boise State with a great tradition as well. So not surprised. Alex Hornibrook, you know, the transfer from Wisconsin, uh, you know, he's he's the perfect backup quarterback in that he's played a lot of football and he can get really, really hot at times and hit, you know, 10, 11 in a row, but he can also be you know, start a game by missing 10 or 11 in a row. So Blackman probably gives them more uh, ter- terms of mobility to go with. Uh, you know, his, his mastery of the offense. And so, um, but you got an experienced guy that you can go to in Hornybrook. So it's probably the right decision uh, there for uh, for the Florida State Seminoles. So it was a busy weekend. We got a great week ahead. Uh, we're going to have a mailbag for you tomorrow. Always popular segment. Get your questions in now. You can do that by hitting us up on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud or my email address is rstroud at Tampa Bay. Dot com. We'll answer any questions about the Bucks, of course, the Lightning, the Rays, USF, Florida State, Florida. College football is back. Nothing better than that. Of course, USF is going to host Wisconsin, my wife's Wisconsin Badgers, on Friday at Raymond James. So that'll be a big game for sure. The Rays are off today. They'll start their series in Houston on Tuesday. And as I mentioned, Charlie Morton against Justin Verlander in that one. The Bucks are practicing, getting ready for their final preseason game. None of the starters are expected to play. At Dallas, expect Vincent Testaverde Jr. to get a lot of playing time at quarterback in that one. We're going to have Matt Baker to talk about, of course, the college football weekend with Florida and Miami, as well as look ahead to what is the official week one in college football. So busy week this week. Get your mailbag questions in. We appreciate you guys listening. We're here each and every day, Monday through Friday. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.